Welcome to the First Baptist Barberville Weekly Sermon Podcast. At FBC Barberville, our mission is to gather, grow, give, and go. Join us for live worship on the Court Square in Barberville, Kentucky, or to learn more about our church, visit fbcbarberville.com. Here is Pastor Tyler Shields. Great to see everybody. A lot of good stuff going on around FBC these days. We're coming to the end of our upward basketball season, which is hard to believe. We're almost there, and it's been really awesome. And I appreciate everybody's help with that so much. So last week, we looked at Exodus chapter 19, and we looked at the Israelites for the first time after coming out of Egypt, gathering there at the mountain of God, a place that would become very familiar to them. And we looked at God comparing himself to an eagle that that he said carried them out of Egypt and brought them to himself, to this place. And we talked about the picture of grace that that just paints uh, for us with with God's care and his provision and the way that he interacts with us even today. So in your reading plan, from that moment forward in Exodus chapter 19, God begins giving his law to his people. And like we said last week, this was a very long list of do's and don'ts, things that they're supposed to uh, maintain, things they're supposed to abstain from. And it's, it's God's holy standard that, that his people were supposed to live up to. And so you'll read about how he gives them the Ten Commandments, right? And, and many, 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 many more commandments. And throughout the rest of Exodus, he'll give them instructions on how to build and and operate this thing called the tabernacle, which would be the precursor to the temple there in Jerusalem. And that kind of wraps up the book of Exodus. It's some really tough reading, but it gets tougher when we get into the book of Leviticus, right? And as you go into the book of Leviticus this week, you'll you'll read about uh, really uh, much of God's law. I mean, that's kind of the heart of the law in the Torah there in the book of Leviticus. And it begins talking about these various offerings that the people were supposed to bring. It talks about the priesthood and how priests were to be anointed and ordained and how that's supposed to function. It talks about separating what is clean from what is unclean. And really much of the book focuses on that, on separating what is holy from that which is unholy and teaching God's people, teaching these unholy people how they can live in the presence of a very holy God. So that takes us to Leviticus chapter 16. That's where we're going to be this morning if you'd like to turn there. Leviticus chapter 16 takes all of that and it introduces us to a very, very important theological concept called atonement. And that's what we're talking about today. And God establishes this annual event, this day of atonement that was really the culmination of all these offerings and all the details about the priesthood. And it all comes together in this one day, this one moment where God teaches to help. And he gives them this picture of atonement, and we'll talk about what it looks like, to help them grasp, one, the magnitude of their sin, but also what atonement for that sin has to look like. And so the whole ordeal kind of begins like this in the beginning of chapter 16. And I won't, I won't read the beginning part. It's, it's, it's lengthy. But it's like this. The priest, first of all, has to be dressed appropriately. He has to be freshly bathed, or we might even think ritually baptized. He has to be ritually clean. And then the priest goes and gets four animals. He gets one bull, 
which he is to sacrifice on for himself as a sin offering and for his family. Then he gets a ram for a burnt offering to make atonement for himself and his family. Then he gets two goats, all right? So one goat would be a sin offering for the rest of Israel, for, for the rest of the people. The other one would be what we call a scapegoat. And it would be used for making atonement and then sent away into the desert, thus carrying the people's sins away from them. It's a really fascinating ordeal. And so with the sacrificial goat, Aaron would take its blood and he'd make atonement for all the places of worship because of all the people's sin. And then with that scapegoat, he would take it and he'd take both his hands and literally put both hands on this scapegoat's head and he would confess the national sin of all the people and thereby place the sin of the people on this goat. And someone would take the goat out and it would go just out into the wilderness, just disappear somewhere, carrying the people's sin away. All of that craziness takes us to Leviticus 16.23, okay? This is where we want to pick up. 16.23, the Bible says, Then Aaron is to enter the tent of meeting, take off the linen garments he wore when he entered the most holy place, and leave them there. He will bathe his body with water in a holy place and put on his clothes. Then he must go out and sacrifice his burnt offering, and the people's burnt offering. He will make atonement for himself and for the people. He's to burn the fat of the sin offering on the altar. And the man who released the goat for an uninhabitable place, this is the scapegoat, is to wash his clothes and bathe his body with water. Afterward, he may re-enter the camp. The bull for the sin offering and the goat for the sin offering, whose blood was brought into the most holy place to make atonement, must be brought outside the camp and their hide, flesh, and waste burned. The one who burns them is to wash his clothes and bathe himself with water. Afterward, he may re-enter the camp. This is to be a permanent statute for you. In the seventh month, on the tenth day of the month, you are to practice self-denial and do no work, both the native and alien who resides among you. Atonement will be made for you on this day to cleanse you, and you will be clean from all of your sins before the Lord. It is a Sabbath of complete rest for you, and you must practice self-denial. It is a permanent statute. The priest who is anointed and ordained to serve as high priest in the place of his father will make atonement. He will put on the linen garments, the holy garments, and make atonement for the most holy place. He will make atonement for the tent of meeting and the altar, and will make atonement for the priest and all the people of the assembly. This is to be a permanent statute for you, to make atonement for the Israelites once a year because of all their sins. And all this was done as the Lord commanded Moses. Now, as you read through this part of Scripture, this is, this is the tough stuff to sit down and read, right? Because in our mind, this is like, what in the world is going on here? They're, they're doing all these different rituals. They're killing animals. They're burning things. People are unclean and can't come back to camp. And it's, it's kind of hard to sort through all these years later, so far removed from this. And so I want to focus on the actual thing that this all accomplishes, and that's atonement. And throughout church history, atonement has been viewed a few different ways. Even across different theological traditions, it's been viewed differently. But in its simplest definition, atonement is righting a wrong, okay? Biblically, it's making some amends for man's sin. 
And so here in Leviticus, on the Day of Atonement, as strange as all this sounds for a group of people to do, and kill these bulls and goats and sprinkle blood here and there and all that, the principle that we see is God's people receiving atonement for their sins, not based on their individual works or good deeds or things that they've done, but really it's based on God's free grace and mercy, which is mediated through another. Think back about in Exodus how this was carried out in the Passover, and we talked about the people were sinful, right? Egyptians and Israelites alike. And if, unless they wanted to die for their own sins that night, there had to be some other blood or some other sacrifice made. The same is true here. So it's carried out by a priest. They were pardoned by the blood or the sacrifice of this animal, and then their sins are carried away by another. It's a really beautiful picture of what atonement is. But here's the problem with this whole situation, right? Atonement and sacrifice had to be made over and over and over, year after year after year after decade after generation. The people would receive pardon for their sins, but they wouldn't experience remission of sin. They would experience uh, restored fellowship with God, yes, but that relationship with God was far from perfect. And so this atonement that we read about here, it was incomplete and imperfect, but it points us to one that is absolutely complete and absolutely perfect, and that's the substitutionary atonement of Christ on Calvary's cross that we sang about this morning. So here's four things that I, I want us to, to, to grasp this morning. This is some deep stuff, but four things that we need to know about atonement, what atonement means for you, first of all is this. Jesus took my place. This is kind of the big picture idea of what atonement is. The doctrine of atonement. We may call it penal substitutionary atonement if you want to get theological. But the idea is that Jesus, when he died on Calvary's cross, he died in the place of sinners, taking upon himself the punishment that we deserve. He took our place. We see a picture of that here in Leviticus. Like I said, we see a picture of that in Exodus with the Passover. But because of their sin, there had to be a substitute. Unless, again, they wanted to die for their sin on their own. Now, it's clear throughout the, the New Testament that Jesus' death on the cross and the sacrifice that Jesus made was substitutionary atonement made for us. Again, in other words, He took our place. He did it for us. Think about the Lord's Supper, for example. When Jesus uh, takes that bread that night at the Last Supper and he, and he breaks the bread, what does He say? He said, this bread is my body, which is broken. Not just broken to be broken. Not just broken because they're going to kill me. But it's broken for you. And then we see with the cup. He says, this cup is the new covenant in my blood, which is poured out for you. When John the Baptist looked up as he's down along the Jordan River baptizing folks, he looked up and he saw Jesus coming. What did he say? He said, behold the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. Even when Caiaphas, the high priest, unknowingly proclaimed this, this same truth, he told the Sanhedrin in John chapter 11, he said, you do not realize that it's better for you that one man die for the people than the whole nation perish. Now, he was talking just about killing Jesus. But little did he know that's exactly what Jesus was going to do on the cross. Many years ago, there was a young man that was serving time for some crimes that he committed. He actually had murdered someone, and he was sentenced to, to be hanged. And because of all of his life choices and things that he had done and living a hard, sinful life, he looked a lot older than what he was. Uh, and throughout his life, he always resembled his father. 
At this time, though, some people thought he actually looked older than his father. He just lived such a hard life, you know. Anyway, as the date of his execution for his crimes drew closer, his father arranged a, a deal where he could go in the prison and spend some time with his son just one more time, just he and his son alone before his son's life comes to an end. And as the father goes into the, the room there and the door closes behind him, he says, son, quickly, let's get changed. We're going to exchange clothes here. And he begins to explain to his son how they look so much alike that he's going to take his place in prison while he goes on to Canada or somewhere like that, and he says, listen, before we get to the execution, I'll tell them who I am. They can figure all out, you know, determine my identity. I'll be set free eventually, and I'll meet up with you, and we'll, we'll, we'll get you out of this. So the son goes along with this. He, the door opens. The guard escorts the son out just like he's the father. He runs off and is living a free life, and the father begins to sit there and think about what's just taking place. And he realizes, you know, the arm of the law is pretty lengthy. Eventually, when they figure this thing out, they're going to find my son eventually. And they'll probably take his life. So he just kind of kept his mouth shut. And as that day of execution approached, he kept his lips sealed. And he went up to the gallows and he was hanged in his son's place. Jesus, like that father, took the penalty of our sin... Upon himself. You see, Jesus literally took our place. It should, have, it should have been us on the cross. It should have been us on the whipping post getting whipped by the cat of nine tails. It should have been our dead bodies laying in the tomb. It should have been us under God's wrath. But instead, Jesus took our place. And that takes us to the second thing. Is not only did Jesus take my place, but Jesus paid my price. One of the songs we sang this morning talked about the ransom that was paid for our sins. There was a price on the Day of Atonement that had to be paid. In Leviticus, it required literal physical sacrifice. I mean, four animals plus all the labor and the work of the priest to do all these rituals. Likewise, Jesus' death on the cross was a costly death. We might consider it a redemptive ransom that was paid. It was paid to set us free, free from sin and death and even the devil himself. Now Jesus, in Mark chapter 10, uses this kind of language when he's talking about his own death. He said, the Son of Man did not come to be served, but to serve. And to do what? To give his life a ransom for many. Paul says that in him we have redemption through his blood. Now redemption means... There's a price that has been paid to set somebody free. It means that the price or the debt of our sin has been paid in full through the atoning sacrifice and the work that Christ did on the cross. One of my favorite stories about Martin Luther, the great reformers, I may have told this before, but one of my favorite stories was how he had a dream one night and Martin Luther was prone to having these dreams and these night visions and night terrors. And One night in particular, he woke up and in this dream, and he sees the devil standing at the foot of his bed. Now, that's scary enough, right? He sees the devil standing there, and he, the devil has this big, giant scroll, and he begins to unroll this scroll, and it goes all the way down to the floor. And written on this scroll was all the sins that Martin Luther had ever committed in his entire life. And the devil begins to read these off one by one, trying to accuse and contemn and, and make Martin Luther feel guilty about all of his sins. He gets finished reading those off, and Martin Luther says, well, devil, is that it? And he says, no. He produces another scroll and reads it off, and then another. And finally, the devil gets done reading all of Martin Luther's filthy, sinful things that he's ever done. 
And Martin Luther says, Devil, there's just one thing that you left off. On each and every one of those scrolls, you need to write, Paid in full by the blood of Jesus Christ. You see, atonement means, yes, Jesus took our place. But it also means that in doing so, He paid the full price of our sin debt. He paid the price so that we could be forgiven. We could be redeemed and set free. That we're justified and made right before God. And that takes us to the third point. is Not only did Jesus do all this, but Jesus became my propitiation. Now, I paid a lot of money to be able to use this word this morning. It's a fancy Bible word. And it comes from a word that simply means to rend favorable. So not only does Jesus' substitutionary death on the cross take away our punishment and remove our guilt and all of that, but it also allows God to now see us in a favorable light. Really, He sees us better than even if the sin never happened in the first place. So here in Leviticus, Aaron is told, if you, if when you read through this this week, you'll read that Aaron is told to sprinkle the blood of, on the atonement cover or on this place of atonement. And, and when we translate that into the Greek, guess what the word is for all of that? Propitiation. And Christ's death serves not only to, to cover our sin, but to render it completely and permanently atoned for. It, it's gone in such a way that God looks at us now and He, he doesn't see our sin. He doesn't see the things from our past. He's not displeased and, and, and upset and, and wrathful over the things that we've done that He's forgiven that Christ has been paid for. Instead, the Bible says He has cast that sin as far as the east is from the west. Now, I've not been able to figure out that one just yet, how far that is. But I think it's pretty doggone far, right? God doesn't even see that sin anymore. It's like He's forgotten about it. And while at the same time, He not only... It's not only a propitiation. Here's another good word for you. But it's an expi expiation. Which means that He completely removed any stain of sin ever happening. We like to sing about how we're washed... White as snow through the blood of Jesus, right? That's exactly what happens. God says in Isaiah 43, 25, He says, I am He who blots out your transgressions for my own sake and remembers your sins no more. How many are glad this morning that God doesn't remember your sins? How many wish you could forget about them too? That's the hard part, right? But Jesus, thanks to atonement, He took my place. He paid my price, became my propitiation. God doesn't even remember my sins anymore. Now here's where this all leads. The final thing is Jesus gives me peace. You see, without Jesus, you're an enemy to God Almighty. Because of your sin. It's not just that you deserve Punishment. It's not just that you deserve His wrath. It's not just that you deserve to die and go to hell. But when you're separated from God because of your sin, without Jesus, you are at war with your Maker. And folks, it's a war that you're not going to win. Without Jesus, you will never have peace. No peace with God, no peace in your heart, no peace in your mind. When you lay down at night, there'll be no peace for you to rest. You'll, there'll be no peace for the rest of your eternity apart from Christ. But when you place your faith and trust in Jesus and in His atoning sacrifice on the cross, you experience another term that we call reconciliation. 
He restores that broken relationship between God and man. Just like that prodigal son coming home to that loving and patient and gracious father. This relationship is mended through Christ. We needed a mediator between God and man, and Jesus became that mediator. He, he paid the debt. He, he made the debtor righteous, just as if the sin never happened. And in the process, we experienced the peace of living in the presence of our Father. See, that's what these people needed in Exodus and Leviticus and Deuteronomy. They were learning. God was teaching them, here's how sinful people can live in my presence. I want to live with you. I want a relationship with you. But here's all the standards, all the rules, all the things that you have to do, all the offerings you have to present, all the sacrifices that you have to make to live in my presence. Now listen, we need that same kind of peace too. And thankfully, we don't have to go through all of those different steps to get there. We just have to take one step. And that's placing our faith in Jesus Christ. And He forgives us of our sins. And listen, if you're not saved this morning, I want you to just think for a minute. If you're, not, if you're not saved, think about this. Imagine this. Imagine not having to carry that heavy burden with you anymore. Imagine not having to carry the guilt of all of your sin and all of your wrong actions anymore. Imagine being able to lay down at night knowing that if you don't ever wake up again, if you die in your sleep, that you get to spend the rest of eternity with, with God. If you don't have that this morning, here's what you need to know. All the work's been done. We don't have to go through all these sacrifices anymore. One sacrifice was made 2,000 years ago on Calvary's cross that sealed the deal. Jesus did all the work for us on the cross. The price has been paid. And all you have to do this morning is just accept it in faith. Place your faith and trust in Jesus Christ. Take God at His word. And be saved. You stand with us this morning as we close in prayer. Father, we thank you for even tough passages and parts of Scripture like Leviticus 16. Hard to understand, God. As we read through this law and all these things, it's so foreign to us. God, help us to understand that it all, every single bit of it, points to Jesus. That in Leviticus, He's our high priest. And throughout all of these stories, He, he becomes priest and prophet and king. And, and he, he is the one that made atonement for us. As, as Peter said, He died once for all sins. And God, we're so undeserving of that. This morning, Lord, I pray that if there's, just, if there's someone here that, that they don't have that kind of peace in their heart, knowing that they're forgiven, knowing that they're now right with God through Jesus, God, I pray, Lord, you just give them the faith to take that first step. Give them the courage. God, if there's someone here that has any doubt about their relationship with you, God, I pray they leave here knowing for certain that they know God. And Lord, for the rest of us, Lord, this is heavy, heavy stuff. And I just pray that we could, as Christians, grasp the magnitude of what we're seeing here. That our sin is costly, but that you made a way for us to be saved. You, say, you sent your son to do this for us. And God, I just pray that we'd have a grateful heart this morning. We ask all this in Jesus' wonderful name. sing a song of invitation this morning and you need, if you need to respond, if you need to come and pray, if you need to be saved 
this morning. Why don't you come as we sing about His grace? Thanks for listening to the weekly sermon podcast. Please subscribe, but also join us live in person on the Court Square in Barberville or find us on YouTube by searching FBC Barberville, on Instagram at first underscore Baptist underscore Barberville, on Twitter at Barberville FBC, or on our Facebook page, First Baptist Barberville.